Hi everyone, thank you so much for being here. I want to invite you into an incredible opportunity to become a coach. This is the Certificate in Mindfulness and Well-Being Strategy. This is for the person who wants to launch and grow their own business, take on one-on-one clients, offer group coaching, lead retreats around the world, launch your own podcast, start a blog, bring in mindfulness and well-being practices and workshops into corporations and school systems. If this is hitting your heart and you are saying, hell yes, then this is the program for you. The Certificate in Mindfulness and Well-Being Strategy is a three-month journey where you work with me to launch and grow your business, plus have trainings from leading experts in mindfulness and well-being strategy. We will also meet for five days in tropical Nosada, Costa Rica, where we dive in deeply into business planning while being nurtured by our spiritual practices so you can birth your heart-centered business. Please check out the link in our notes. If you want to focus on freedom instead of the hustle, then this is the program for you. I'm looking forward to reading your application. Cohorts are open right now. Thank you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Wise Woman Podcast, featuring leading voices in 2019, supporting women to fully show up, connect to their feminine authenticity and truth. I am your host, Erin Rachel Doppel, bringing light to the marriage between Eastern practices and Western psychology, while encouraging you to show up for yourself and the world around you. May this be your time to shine. May you show up. I am super pumped about today's guest. We have Dr. Rani Bannock. In this podcast, we talk about blinking for eye health, the foods to eat to protect your vision, and the 20-minute versus 20-second rule when looking at screens. Thanks for being here. Hi, Dr. Ronnie. Thank you so much for being on Wise Woman Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. So tell us, how did you begin to become really an expert in eye health? Sure. So um, so I went the traditional medical route first. So I went to medical school and then um, I loved vision. It was it's just fascinating. The eye is such a small organ, but just so complex and intricate. And I fell in love with it. So I decided to do ophthalmology. So I did my residency there. And then um, I was also fascinated by the brain. So I did a, a fellowship in neuro ophthalmology. And so, uh, so basically, I was kind of tying together vision, brain health. Um, and then one part of it was really missing, though. And that is the connection between our vision, our brains to the rest of the body. So that came much later. And that piece of the puzzle really kind of came into play when I began having my own health issues. And it really made me realize, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm, you know, focused on this one aspect, but I'm not taking care of everything else. And so once I realized that it really changed my life, it changed my health, it changed my career, because I began to use what I learned in terms of a more holistic or functional medicine approach to eye health as well as whole body health. So I translated that for myself into my, the care of my patients. So it was really quite a journey. So for everybody listening right now, what can we do today to improve our eye health? 
So there are a couple of um, main kind of uh, pillars for eye health. And I would say first and foremost is nutrition. If you have proper nutrition, uh, plenty of antioxidants in your diet, uh, healthy fats, omega-3s, um, and then some other anti-inflammatory um, uh, components, for example, turmeric, uh, resveratrol, um, and uh, you know, uh, foods that are rich in other antioxidants like glutathione, vitamin E, all of that can really make a tremendous difference in terms of protecting against future eye conditions. And that could be cataract, glaucoma, macular degeneration. Um, the second thing I would say is hydration is so important. So it's really the simple things, you know, food, nutrition, nourish your body, food and hydrate. And um, as a general rule of thumb, and, and you probably already know this, and perhaps some of your listeners do also, in terms of hydration, I recommend taking your body weight in pounds, uh, dividing by two, and that's how many fluid ounces you should be having every day. Um, it doesn't have to be only water. It could be other beverages, but not caffeinated and no uh, added sugar. Um, so those are the, the two main things. And then there's some other things as well you can do to really uh, protect your vision. And again, something very simple, and that is UV protection. Um, we don't realize how much um, UV rays, I know other light rays may be very helpful for certain health aspects, but specifically UV rays can potentially do harm uh, to our eyes and cause long-term issues. So you want to always protect your eyes, even on cloudy days. Uh, get that UV protection going on. So it could be sunglasses or a wide-brimmed hat. That would be great as well. So for everyone who is not familiar with the specific uh, foods that really would be best for the eyes, what's a, a meal that would really, or a diet in a day that would be best to eat for the eyes? <laughs> so I would say um, the foundation should be plant-based or plant-rich, I like to say. So not purely vegan, but plant-rich. Um, and lots of leafy greens and orange-yellow vegetables. So that should fill up half your plate. So no matter what meal you're eating, you should have color on your plate. And um, I typically recommend, you know, switching up the colors. So you're eating, let's say 21 meals in a week. So with each meal, have different colors with each meal, and that will get you all the nutrients you need. So specifically, that would be vitamin A, the other carotenoids, the B vitamins, and vitamin C. So you're going to get that through those vegetables. And then fruits, um, in terms of fruits, um, the darker the fruit, the actual, the, the more nutri nutritional value it has and the lower glycemic index. So for example, berries are great. They're rich in anthocyanins, which are great for eye health. So blackberries, blueberries, um, elderberry, uh, I'm blanking on the other ones. There <laughs> are many, many more. But, um, but the, the darker berries. the berry, the better. All the berries. So, and you can also have red berries. Raspberries and strawberries are great. Goji berries are wonderful. Um, so in terms of, um, you know, again, you're ha you ha getting back to your question, half of your plate should be those multicolored fruits and vegetables. And then you should have some source of protein. And if you do um, eat animal products, so uh, uh, grass-fed beef is great. Um, otherwise, salmon is wonderful because salmon has the benefit of the omega-3s. And then um, nuts are great as well. So as a protein source, as a source of omega-3, as a source of selenium and zinc for your eyes. Um, so have maybe you know a half a handful of nuts every day. Um, and then a small portion being carbohydrates. And this is kind of the general overall uh, recommendation, but carbohydrates should be maybe one fourth of what you're eating instead of half or more than that. Um, 
And then the hydration. So make sure you drink plenty of fluids, plenty of fluids. So this is a big conversation in my family because I, my mom and I and my brother, we all have 20-20 vision. We, we can all be astronauts. We have very, very good vision. But my dad and my sister, my sister, it's a very interesting, I want to learn more about this. She started wearing glasses just so she could see the the screen or the board in class, like regardless of where she was sitting in the classroom. And then since she started wearing glasses, her vision got worse. That's actually a common question I get is wearing glasses going to make your vision worse? Is it going to make you more dependent on glasses? So let me, um, let me just first explain uh, what glasses do and uh, how they work. So uh, the eye has a certain curvature. So we have the curvature of the front of the eye, the cornea, and then we also have a lens that also has a curvature and can change shape. So when the image that comes through our cornea hits our lens and hits our retina, if it's not focused perfectly on the back of the retina, it's going to be blurry. And what the glasses do is they basically adjust where that image is going to fall onto the back of the eye. So it's just optically correcting where that focal focal it's going to be. And so in patients who are nearsighted, which I presume that's your sister, she's nearsighted, so she can't see far away, uh, the image falls, um, it actually falls uh, in front of the retina. So um, I'm sorry, image falls behind the retina. So the glasses will shift that image to fall on the retina and vice versa. If someone's um, uh, farsighted, then they, they can see far away, but they can't see as well up close. The image is falling not where it should be. So many people think, oh, if I start wearing glasses, it's going to make my vision get worse. Actually, that's not true. Um, the glasses are a crutch, but they're not actually going to degrade your vision. Uh, if if things get worse, if, you're, if your refractive power gets worse, it's because the eye is changing. The shape of the eye is changing not necessarily because the glasses are making it worse. So I think that's a common misconception many people have. Oh, that's um, so interesting. But it's a great, yeah. yeah. And, and actually, um, this is actually an issue for kids. So um, if any of your listeners have kids who wear glasses, um, you should ask your eye, their eye doctor, when should they wear the glasses? Because glasses don't necessarily need to be worn all all the time. So for example, if someone is nearsighted, meaning they're wearing glasses to see the board in school or to watch TV or a movie, then that means that up close, their vision is probably pretty good and they should not be wearing the glasses up close because when they do that, their eye has to strain more and it causes the change, the, a shape uh, change in the eye and then it may make the, the myopia progress. So only wear the glasses when it's appropriate to wear them, usually not full time, usually it's not necessary. And I know in today's day and age, we are so addicted to looking at our screens and constantly on our phone, to our computer, to the TV. And I know myself, my eyes, mm -hmm. they just need to focus on something else, usually something farther away. Like I have to look out the window and look yeah. at a farther distance just to get my eyes back into a grounded state. What, what is happening to people's eyes when we're just constantly looking at screens? Yeah. yeah. There's there's a couple of things happening. So um, when we when we look around normally, we're blinking about 15 times a minute. You know, if we're looking around, we're, we're um, you know talking to someone. It's 15 times a minute. When we're focused on a screen, we blink much much less. 
sometimes even only two or three times a minute because we're so intent on what we're looking at. And so um, that blink rate or that decrease in blink rate causes our eyes to dry out. And when the eyes dry out, they feel irritated, they, things are blurry, you can't focus properly. So it's good to either look away or close your eyes. So I actually tell my patients, follow the 20-20 rule. So it's a very simple thing you can do. Every 20 minutes, take a break. Either close your eyes, look away, lubricate, um, take that break because your eyes really need it. Um, the other thing is um, this, this whole um, syndrome called computer vision syndrome. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's also called digital eye strain. So it's not just dryness of the eye that causes that, but um, what happens is the, uh, the screen, there's your screen, where all of our screens emit blue light. Um, and blue light can be beneficial in certain respects, but the, the blue light that comes from our screens can sometimes cause a lot of discomfort. It can cause light sensitivity. So again, using that 20-20 rule where every 20 minutes you just take a short break for 20 seconds, that will eliminate or reduce the computer vision syndrome or digital eye strain. Um, some people even get headaches from, from being at the computer too much or even neck strain. So ergonomics are really important. So try to have your eyes level with the computer screen or slightly uh, your, your screen slightly lower. If it's higher than where your eyes are, the eyes will actually dry out even more. So just a couple of tips there on how to prevent that issue. Because I know, as you do, many of us spend a lot of time on the computer. Um, the actual, the average U.S. American adult spends over 11 hours a day on the screen. Absolutely. And that number is just mind-boggling mind how much we're, we're so, you know, uh, we're so addicted. Digital devices. I know. It's crazy. And I always think about like, I'll wake up, I post on Instagram, I ride on my Peloton, I'm like looking at the screen, I go to my computer, uh, you, like you're just on screen all the time. It is so bananas and definitely not not good on any level, but definitely not good on our eyes. And of all the fields to move yeah. into, how did you choose to really specialize in eye health? Um, well, again, I, I just love the way the eye works. And the other, the other really wonderful aspect of ophthalmology is that, you know, most people, we take our vision for granted until something goes wrong. But when that, you know, whatever it is goes wrong, we're not seeing clearly, it can be so debilitating to our lives. You know, we can't read properly. Some people can't drive properly. They can't see their faces of their loved ones. It's really debilitating. As an, as an eye care provider, as an ophthalmologist, to be able to help them to restore that, you know, their vision, restore their functionality is, you know, it's a reward that I couldn't, I don't, I can't imagine getting in any other sense. You know, for example, I did cataract surgery just last week on one of my long-term patients. And um, she was just so ecstatic. Now she can read again. Now she can drive again, you know, just giving her back that independence to do things that she loves doing. Uh, even later in life, she's, I think, 85 years old right now. So it's just, it's just wonderful to be able to help patients in that way and have such an impact in their lives. Beautiful. Absolutely. And there's so many different ways to serve the masses. And this is just one of all of them. What are some of your very specific rituals or practices that help you show up for yourself and your family and your business? Because you're also a female entrepreneur. Yeah, that's a great question. And this is something I'm still in the process of learning and, and developing. But I think, um, just just having a kind of a, a, a calm approach to everything 
um, it, it, it's so beneficial. So, you know, things happen in, in all respects. Things can happen at work, things can happen at home, other relationships. And sometimes, you know, the stresses of all that really can get to you and, and, and you know, kind of bog you down mentally. So I think um, just coming in with that approach. And so what I've actually been doing the past few years is um, I have a couple of um, spiritual teachers or mentors that I look to. Uh, one is um, she's a, a part of a cultural program that my daughter attends on Saturday. So my daughter goes to her program and I go to listen to my spiritual teacher. And I think spending that hour just, you know, kind of in a different mindset, you know, just hearing, you know, the bigger, the bigger picture really helps me keep things in perspective. So I really don't get upset anymore. Very few things bother me anymore. I just kind of take it in, take it in stride and then move on. Um, the other uh, spiritual teacher I have, she's actually a uh, mindfulness and meditation instructor. Uh, I met because my, um, my hospital actually offers uh, these symposia. And so I had met her a few years back and she's just wonderful, you know, her insights and, you know, just her knowledge of how much our mind and our, our you know, our um, consciousness is, is affects so many different things, you know, how we perceive things and, and how we can, again, get over the little stresses in life, not get bogged down with them. So I think those two aspects are really, really important uh, to me in terms of grounding me and uh, allowing me to be there not only for myself, but for my family, for my patients, for the students I teach, for everyone, really. Um, it's, it's really important. It's so important to have mentors and coaches and people in your life to help realign. Are these specific spiritual teachers in any organized religion lineage or any yogic lineage? Yeah, sure. So the um, the first uh, spiritual teacher I was mentioning to you, she's actually part of Chinmaya Mission, uh, which is a, a worldwide kind of an organization that um, promotes um, the Vedic uh, way of life in the Vedic Vedic literature. So it, it dates back to ancient Hindu traditions, but um, but it's not purely it's not fully religious i shouldn't say fully religious but it's yes it's grounded in religion but it's applicable to many people no matter what religion you may be from or whatever your faith is um there's actually a question that came up just in our last week's class somebody asked well how would somebody who is atheist or agnostic perceive some of these or you know kind of integrate some of these principles in their lives so again the the philosophies are are very universal um Kind of looking beyond yourself into the the greater why of the universe which is great so and then the second teacher is um she's actually a uh a nurse practitioner and so she um she was in the healthcare field for many years but over time she realized the importance of um of meditation mindfulness in terms of, of healing and health so she decided to pursue that as her new career trajectory. Now she shares what she's learned with other providers like myself, not only patients, but she teaches providers how to, you know, uh, manage, you know, all these issues that come up in our lives. And the stress is everywhere. We all have stress. We're all exposed to it. But it's really our response to the stress that's important, how we handle it. So, um, so I'm just, I feel like I'm just so much a calmer and, and 
uh, just a, a better person now that I've, you know, engaged in some of these practices and I continue to learn. It's always, a, it's a lifelong process, it never ends, which Incredible. is a good thing. Absolutely. And if you're listening and this is interesting to you, um, I lived in India for a good amount of time and I actually have a retreat heading to Goa in January. So if you were listening to this and you want to study Eastern and Western practices and really the birthplace of it all and you want to study Vedic meditation or active meditation and yoga and yogic philosophy and is rooting in Western psychology. We have a few spots left for our Escape to Goa Sustainable Tourism Retreat, eight days, January 11th to the 19th. And I so resonate with everything you are saying. I think the integration of East and West is how we heal. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not they're not exclusion exclusionary. And even in my practice, I, I blend together traditional medical practices with other uh, ways of healing. So whether it's Ayurveda, whether it's acupuncture, I mean, I'm very very open to other. Um, I don't want to call them alternative, but complementary approaches. Awesome. It's really important. And I love what you're doing. I mean, it's fantastic that you have these retreats and, and you're, you know, bringing more people into this mindset, which is so important. It doesn't have to be exclusionary. Absolutely. And it's, it's everything that I really think is so necessary. It's uh, my time living in Asia and, you know, my very Western masters in clinical psychology, combining it together. And is exactly what you said about the nurse practitioner who really has this fundamental Western training and then teaches, you know, Eastern meditation and mindfulness or healing. That's really the core of, I have this certificate training in partnership with UPeace, a United Nations university, really training mm-hmm. these providers in how to support their clients, attract clients, rooting it in Eastern and Western practices. So definitely more people like you. I love, love, love how you made the distinction between, um, like alternative health or like other ways to heal because it's just health. You know, it's supplemental. It's like everything. It's really the holistic approach. There's not a one size fits all model. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I think that in the, in mainstream medicine, many providers don't kind of realize that they can be done together. The two approaches can be brought together. So there is a lot of kind of, uh, I don't. I wouldn't say controversy, but just the unknown. You know, it's 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 different. It's it's not what I do. But I think you know, just more people, more providers are becoming aware that yes, you can integrate in other practices and other modes of healing and health, and and it really is for the benefit of the patient. You know, whatever works best for the patient, whatever their belief system is, what they're going to be able to achieve, um, the changes in their lifestyle that they're willing to you know can can implement. It, it, it just, it has to be an individualized approach. So not all patients are going to be open to this, but, you know, I really try to establish that um, connection first to figure out, okay, which approach is going to work for the patient? Is it going to be the traditional approach, the more um, holistic approach, or should I just combine the two? And in most cases, I end up combining the two, which is wonderful. Oh, wow. That's really beautiful. I know right before we hopped on this podcast, you were telling me about your incredible book coming out. Please tell us more. Yeah, so absolutely. So um, there is a condition called macular degeneration, and many of you 
your listeners have probably heard of it, or perhaps they have family members who have it. Um, but it can be, you know, very, very devastating. It can, it can really blind a lot of people. Um, it's actually over 11 million people in the U.S. have macular degeneration of some kind, and that's more than Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease combined. So it's really a major health issue and major ophthalmologic issue. And the, the traditional way of of treating it is really to wait until the vision goes. And once the vision is lost, then there are medical treatments, for example, certain injections that can be given into the eye that can help with vision or other treatments. But my approach is really to not let it get to that stage where people actually lose vision and they end up needing some of those treatments. My approach is really to uh, really to educate people about what they should be eating to to provide all the nutrients necessary to, to fight against macular degeneration, how they should be living, for example, um, how much exercise should they get? What kind of exercise should they get? Uh, if they're gonna have caffeine, how much caffeine should they have? Uh, what about other modalities? I mentioned before acupuncture, can that be helpful? So my approach is really an integrative approach to macular degeneration. So to try to prevent it from progressing and actually causing vision loss. And I'm basing my approach in, um, it's all science-based. So there's all, it's all evidence-based research. Uh, many of it has been in basic science, so it may not have specifically been done yet in macular degeneration, but, uh, but it has been proven in other uh, aspects or other conditions. So, uh, so that's my book. Hopefully, it's it's going to be coming out early next year. I don't have the exact date yet, but early 2020. So, hopefully, you can protect your vision, your 2020 vision, in the year 2020. <laughs> oh, beyond. I love it. That's amazing. Yes, you'll have to send that over to us so we can all learn more. That's very exciting. So, if you had the oh, ears, if you had the ears of all the women in the world and you could share wisdom or advice with them, what would you say to these women? Um, I would say, you know, something that I, I experienced when I went through and I'll share with everyone is that um, I was not taking care of myself. I really wasn't. And I was always giving, 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 giving to other people. And as women, I think it's our natural tendency is to give a lot of ourselves uh, to our families, children, other family members, you know, um, people around us. Uh, and, and I think I was giving away too much and not focusing on myself and being healthy and well. And I was really, I mentioned before I had some health issues. It was really horrible migraines that I had. I had migraines basically every single day for over two years straight. And it was because I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't eating properly. I wasn't hydrating. I wasn't sleeping. Sleep is a major, major factor in terms of health. So once I, I put all of those little, you know, the self-care pieces of the puzzle together, I finally started to get better. And so, you know, if, if you can do one thing for yourself, just take, you know, whatever it is, maybe it's 10 minutes. If you can do a little bit longer, if you can do 15 minutes or half an hour, just enjoy doing something that you do. Uh, that, that you enjoy. Uh, do something that you, I should, I should say it differently, do something that you enjoy. So uh, whether it's just sitting quietly, meditating, whether it's reading a book, whether it's listening to music, going for a walk, really just take the time and heal yourself. That would be my, my piece of advice. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Dr. Rani, how can we find you? I'm sorry, it was just breaking up for a second. No worries. How can we find you? What's your social media handle or website? Oh, oh, sure. So I'm um, pretty active on both Facebook and Instagram. So on Facebook, I have two uh, private groups. One is called Envision Health, 
So that's EN Vision Health, and the other is called Ion Migraine. So I invite um, anyone who's interested to join those groups. I talk about, and in Vision Health, I talk about a lot of eye conditions and, and healthy foods to eat, and I share some recipes. And on Ion Migraine, I talk about uh, natural approaches to migraine, a holistic approach to migraine rather than a pharmaceutical approach. And I'm also on Instagram. So on Instagram, I'm at Dr. Bannock. Uh, so I invite anyone who's interested to follow. And uh, I just wanted to thank you so much. I mean, I really enjoyed our conversation. And what you're doing is incredible. I mean, so incredible. Thank and, you. And I would love to share your approach with some of my patients as well. So especially that Goa retreat. I think maybe some of my patients may be interested. So I would love to share that with them. Oh, absolutely. I will send that right over at, right after this. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. As, as always with podcasts, we need high rating subscribers and comments to receive good standing and to continue sharing wise words with women around the globe. So please comment, subscribe, rate us. We love hearing from you. Big love and looking forward to chatting again next week. Thanks so much.